Hey guys, we're sponsored today by Fizzle, honest online business training and a community of entrepreneurs who won't let you quit. We've also got Barrett Brooks on the show today who works for Fizzle, so it's getting all kinds of meta today. But anyway, regardless of that, they're giving you a six-week free trial to check everything out, and I'd love for you to take advantage of that by going to fizzle.co slash TGM and sign up. It's free. You can look me up once you're in there. And let's help each other figure out business and life and the business of life. You like that? I like that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I just came up with that. All right. Just do it. Fizzle.co slash TGM. This is The Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. What is up, my friends? Welcome to The Gently Mad. I'm Adam Clark. This is episode 32 of the show. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're having a great Wednesday. This is a fun one. I, I, I'm excited to release this one. I recorded it a while back, but we've got Barrett Brooks on the show today, and Barrett happens to work for Fizzle, who's also the sponsor of the Gently Mad this month. So, yeah, it's a little getting a little inceptiony this this week, but um, but this was great. Barrett uh, Barrett and I share some roots, as it were. Uh, he's from the Atlanta area, which is also where I'm from, and uh, but neither of us sound like we're from Atlanta, which I, I take that as uh, a kind of sign, sign of pride. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't like sounding like a redneck. If you sound like a redneck, I apologize if I just offended you. I, I'm not against. I'm not anti-redneck. You know, I'm I'm pro. I'm pro redneck. I'm pro. I'm pro whatever you want to be is what I'm trying to say. You can, you know, do, do whatever you want to do. Anyway. Um, actually, now that I think about it, Atlanta is, is kind of like, it's not really a Southern city, I guess, anymore. I mean, very few people in Atlanta are from Atlanta and, uh, it's not, yeah, it's just not a Southern city like where I live now in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is very much a Southern city. So Southern, in fact, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but throughout the entire Southeast, like you still cannot buy alcohol on Sundays. It's just, it's illegal. Can't do it. And I don't drink anyway, not not from some principled choice, but just because I just don't drink. I don't know. My wife doesn't drink and I'm not the kind of guy who's going to sit down and have a beer by myself or whatever. But man, I'll tell you what, it has been incredibly stressful couple of weeks. And for the first time in like a year, I, I found myself wanting a drink. I just felt like, you know, I could use a drink tonight. Well, guess guess what happened? Guess what day that happened to be? Yeah, Sunday night. So I was shit out of luck, basically. No, nowhere could couldn't get anything 
oh well, I tried, but you know, once you once you stopped at like your third place to see if they'll like break the rules for you, basically break the law for you, then you're getting a little desperate and yeah, I didn't I didn't like how that was making me feel, so I moved on. Let's just say I made it fine. I made it through the evening fine and through the first half of this week fine without the alcohol. So I don't know if I needed it anyway. But yeah, stressful week. Very stressful. Very, very overwhelming. Lots of pressure. I don't know if you've ever gotten yourself in a situation where you just have so much to do and not enough time to do it. And it's weird. It's like it's 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 almost like the work itself is is not even the overwhelming part. It's like at least I do this. I work I work myself up where in my head this work becomes this huge black hole that that is threatening to just completely swallow me up and and, and then I start fearing it and I avoid it and I procrastinate. So that doesn't help anything. It just makes it worse. But that's the kind of week or two that I've had. It doesn't help that uh, it's cold as shit right now. It's it's like 30 degrees, which may not be cold for some of you, but it's supposed to be like 9 degrees tomorrow. And our HVAC unit is frozen, solid, so we don't have any heat at the moment. So I'm in my studio recording this. My hands are literally practically frozen still, so... At least my mouth still works. That's the important thing, right? I think there's a, that's what she said somewhere in there. I'll let you I'll let you figure that out. But but uh hey, gotta do the show. Doesn't matter. Snow, sleet, rain. It's like the postal service, the Pony Express. This is the Pony Express show. It it will be delivered no matter what happens. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed talking to Barrett. Barrett is an extremely intelligent guy, has a life, uh, life has a lot of life experience behind him. And uh, we talked about growing up in Atlanta. We talked about um, our frustrations with the education system. He actually spent some time overseas uh, at Cambridge, I believe it was, in college. And we, we talked about what an eye-opening experience that was for him. And just, you know, how he's gone about starting multiple companies and how he uh, wound up at Fizzle. And it's a very fascinating story. And for those of you who are into entrepreneurship and maybe wanting to do your own thing, or even if not, even if you, you want to have a job and and grow and climb that ladder, I think you'll find this conversation very interesting because Barrett is super smart guy. And it kind of turned into a little bit of the Adam therapy hour, which let's be honest, that's what most episodes of the show are. But (laughs) Barrett, Barrett was giving me some personal, personal advice regarding my show. I did have a cold when we recorded this. So my voice sounds a little off. I apologize for that. It doesn't help that next to Barrett's uh, insanely deep voice, my voice sounds like a chipmunk, basically. Um, I mean, his his fucking voice actually broke my presets. You know, I'm editing this thing. I run I run all the same kind of presets and processes on every recording that I do, and it came out like you know blowing out my subwoofer. It was so deep. I had to go back and reprocess his whole track. And cut out some of the bass because he was—he's he, blessed with uh, with some very manly vocal cords. I gotta say, 
I don't know if he has a beard. According, you know, the pictures that I see online, he does not have a beard. So at least, at least I have the manly hair follicles, even if I don't have the manly vocal cords. But I, like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation with Barrett. It was a lot of fun. And I finally completed the set, okay? All four Fizzlers, Caleb Wojcik, who was a former Fizzler, not anymore, um, have now been on the show. And that makes me feel really good. I, I'm, I'm an OC collector, okay? And whether it's books, movies, albums, not so much albums anymore. I've, I've pretty much switched to, I've gone all in with RDO, basically. But other stuff, you know, I, I just love having that whole set. I love having the, the, the set of books, you know, neatly lined up on my shelf. And, and now I've got the set of all, all the Fizzlers on the show, at least until they hire someone new. So I don't know, just maybe I need to start back and go through all of them again. But uh, it, it, it's great to have completed the set and basically made my OCD part of me, you know, feel feel good about that. But before we before we get to this conversation with Barrett, a couple housekeeping items. Is that what we call this? Housekeeping? Something like that? Um, I want to thank a couple of you. Well, specifically, I want to thank John Locke for donating to the show this week. There's been a handful of you that have done that and supporting me, throwing in a few dollars here and there. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm doing the sponsorship thing, but I'm also experimenting with listener support and if you enjoy this show and it's meant something to you, then you can go to avclark.com slash support, and there's some different options and ways you can donate to the show, and uh, I would greatly appreciate that, and thank you, John, for jumping in this week and doing that, and uh, to those of you who've done that in the past. So, as I said last episode, I'm, I'm kind of calling hiatus on the giveaways for a while. Uh, if, if you have a better idea of how that should work, uh, then let me know. Hit me up, adam at avclark.com, and let me know what you think. I officially have a TGM listener feedback survey thingy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it'll probably take you about five minutes to do. It's got cute pictures of my kids in there. Um, but I'd be really grateful if you'd go to tgmlistener.com and, and fill that out. Like I said, it'll take a couple minutes. And it'll really help me get to know more about who you are, who the people are that are listening to this show, and what you like and what you don't like, and and all that stuff. I I really want to make this show better. I want to make it as good as it can be. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'd love to talk to you and get to know more about you. I I really enjoy that. When I look at my week, usually on Sundays, I schedule out the whole week. I look at my calendar on Sundays and kind of create my to-do list for the week. And when it's filled with calls with people that I just, you know, not business calls, work calls, but calls with you guys and calls with people um, that I just get to talk to, those are my favorite weeks. Because I just I just love having conversations like I have on the show with you guys who listen to the show. And some of those have been very beneficial. Beneficial. What the man? I, I don't know what's wrong with me. It's the cold. My now it's getting to my tongue. My tongue is starting to freeze. I gotta hurry up. I gotta get this done. It's been really beneficial, I think, to some of those of you who have done it. Uh, at least that's what you said. Uh, the response has been great. And I'm not charging for that. I'm not charging for consulting or whatever. I'm just I'm just doing it because I like to do it. 
So if you need help with something, if there's anything I can do to help you out, don't hesitate to reach out. But I would greatly appreciate you going to tgmlistener.com and filling out that little survey. And last thing, if you still have not rated and reviewed the show, I would also appreciate that. I've officially surpassed my eight weeks of new and noteworthy bliss in iTunes. And uh, it's a little harder now to uh, organically at least have people find the show because it's not being actively promoted as much in iTunes. So if you like the show, tell people about it. And if you haven't left a rating and a review, I would really appreciate you doing that. That would help me a lot and ranking higher in iTunes and having other people find the show. So that's it. That's all I've got. As I said, hope your Wednesday's going well. It's about to get a lot better because we're about to talk to Barrett Brooks right after this brief word from our sponsor for whom Barrett Brooks actually works. So, yeah. As you've got to know by now, we're sponsored this month by the amazing Fizzle.co, a community of entrepreneurs who won't let you quit and amazing business training that is honest and sleaze free, as we heard last time from Tom Ross. I talked to another Fizzle customer named Joshua Jordison, and Joshua is got a pretty amazing story here. I mean, he's a young guy and he quit college determined to find a way to break into the music industry. And after a while, he was able to help start one of the largest music festivals in Los Angeles. And his main offline business is as an event coordinator, creating events all over Los Angeles focused on music. But he decided he wanted to create an online business. And actually that revolves around a podcast. Where does Fizzle come into this? I'll let Joshua tell you about that. Fizzle has probably been the greatest resource in terms of a community or education that I've tapped into in the past, I don't know, uh, three to five years. I, I feel like the community itself is worth the price of admission. Just to be able to go on there and learn from other people who have done what you've tried to do before in online business before and failed and succeeded and give them your ideas and get feedback is huge. And then all of the educational resources that they have, you know, the super high quality videos that show you how to build a website, start a blog. Um, You know, they bring on people like John Lee Dumas, who has a very successful podcast to talk about podcasting. Um, I mean, it's, it's really been everything. And this podcast that Joshua is launching, he's already off to an amazing start. He's been recording shows, connecting people, and going about it very creatively, and already nearly signed a deal that will make his podcast profitable from day one, a year-long sponsorship. And he says, without Fizzle, none of it would have happened. I don't think that I, I know that I definitely wouldn't have a podcast that's ready to launch within the next month. And at the same time, a pretty robust digital online course if I hadn't joined Fizzle. There's just no way that I would have been able to get that done. But my question was how? How did Fizzle help him do that? In what way did Fizzle allow him to create this amazing online business slash podcast that is doing so well before it's even launched? I think it has to do with the quality of people. And that's super important to me. Um, you know, I'm 
I feel like a really fortunate guy to have so many amazing people around me. And it's gotten to the point now where I just don't want to have, you know, negative or weird people around me. And the people on Fizzle are just, you know, they're quality human beings. They're very helpful. Uh, I would say pretty much all of the feedback that I've gotten has been very constructive and positive. Not positive in the sense of like, oh yeah, just keep going. You know, if something sucks, like people will tell you, but it's not malicious. They're out there to help you and to give you genuine feedback. So to me, it's it's the quality of the people. So maybe you have dreams of launching a podcast or a business of some sort. Well, I can tell you, Fizzle is the place to be, not only for the courses and the educational material that you'll get, but as everyone I've spoken to has said, the community, the community of honest, real, no bullshit people that want to help you. I mean, this can be a lonely thing being an entrepreneur and there is a group of people that want to help you and will help you in Fizzle. So the Fizzle guys are giving you the opportunity to try everything for six weeks free, no commitments, no hassles, no nothing. I mean, absolute no brainer. Six weeks for free. You can, and that's enough time for you to go through. And if you want to just watch all the courses and do everything and then bail, then do that. But I think you'll want to stick around. We've already got a great little community of gently mad listeners in there. And uh, I think you'll love it. I think that if you're stuck, if you're struggling, or even if you're not, even if you just have an idea and you just need some help to make it a reality, Fizzle's the place to be. And you can get six weeks for free by going to fizzle.co slash TGM and signing up. So do that. Go to fizzle.co slash TGM, sign up, and then look me up and let's help each other figure this stuff out and make our online dreams, businesses, dreams. What am I talking about? <laughs> I'm starting to sound like an inspirational guy. That's not me. I'm a cynical guy. No, make our online businesses successful and make our lives successful. That's really what Fizzle's all about for me. So fizzle.co slash TGM, do it, sign up, look me up, and I'll see you over there. officially wins the award for the longest ad I've ever had on the show, and I'm known to have some long ads. I don't know if there's actually been a podcast with a longer ad than that. That was clocked in at just over five minutes. So yeah, that's how much I care about this company. So let's get to it. I think you've waited long enough. Here's my conversation with Mr. Barrett Brooks. like the sound of my voice is it as nice as chase's voice <laughs> uh, that that's a tough question you're putting me on the spot because Ch- chase might listen to this and i don't want there to be any sort of uh you know jealousy going on you know well, within within the fizzle ranks he's already very jealous of me so you know it's okay <laughs> nice nice you do have you know you you've got you got a nice deep you know deep uh radio voice which i'm a man man <laughs> <laughs> which I don't have and, and which Chase loves to make fun of, 
you know, he, 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 it's like he imagines me as this like six year old little sprite whenever he imitates me for some reason. I don't, I don't understand. It's okay. He calls me a 13 year old CEO. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I guess he's got nicknames for everyone. Are you a CEO? Like I, I, I go to your website and it's like, it's like strategies and habits and skills. Oh my. I mean, it's just, you know, what do you, what do you do, man? Everything. Everything that Corbett and Chase don't want to do is what I do. That's what, that's what they hired you for. They were like, listen, we don't have a job description. It's just anything we don't want to do is your job. Exactly. So anyone who's not a fan of the Atlanta Braves from like the mid nineties will not get this, but I'm like the Mike Mordecai of fizzle. <laughs> nice. Mike Mordecai was like the best utility player that we had in the mid nineties. See, I, um, I, I lost all sports interest uh, with the 94, was it 94 strike? Was that when it happened? Uh, it was about that time. And yeah. then the Braves won in 95. They won their World Series, which is like the only time ever that Atlanta had something to cheer for. Yeah, I know. Well, see, I, I was a huge baseball, like as a kid, I was all into baseball. I played baseball, big sports, you know, well, not big sports in general, but just baseball and just Braves when it comes down to it, mm-hmm. you know, like like for me, like I think back to 1989, 1990 with like, you know, the, the, the Steve Avery team, you know, oh, man. remember Steve Avery and Sid so Bream and Tony Pendleton and, you know, Lemke and all those, you know, uh, that, Jeff, that, Jeff yeah. Blauser. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Justice, you know, that whole team like that, that gives me chills like of, of reminiscence right there. But, but yeah, after the early nineties, I think the year the strike happened, I, I got, I, you know, there was no, no, nothing to do about baseball. And then after that, I just never got back into it. You know, you lose a season and you lose your fans. <laughs> well, uh, maybe they shouldn't have striked, you know, maybe that'll teach them, you know, that well, they keep, lost the whole generation because of that strike. Keep that in mind, Adam. Next time you think a strike is a good idea from your podcast. Touche. I admit, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I took a seven month strike as well. It wasn't really a strike. I wasn't demanding anything. I just got tired of doing it. So this is valid, but this is all new. This is a new show, man. This, the old, the old has passed away as, as the saying goes, you know, this is a new show. It's all fresh. You know, the, the, the what existed before doesn't even count. Basically. I'm down with that. Did you listen Cle- to the old show ever? Clean slate. No, but I've listened to much of the new show and I enjoy it. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, Fizzle has uh, represented like half the the show, so we're <laughs> on, we're on good we're on good footing right now. <laughs> I had one friend say it's like it's like, geez, it's been ten episodes. He's already had all the Fizzle guys, you know. And I was like, hey, well, they're the people I know. I'm starting with my friends, all right. You know, exactly. what do you expect me and to you do? Know, you're kind of like picking up, but you're looking at the ingredients. You know, it's like you're going back to the farm where the coffee beans are made and yeah, uh, where the milk is made from the cows. You're seeing. Chase and Corbett and Barrett all separate. Oh man, it's a way different game when you just talk to one of us. I know, and it's it's uh, it, it's it's more fun this way. I will say that you're a little more. Um, I don't know how to put it. Like, uh, uh, it, it's like they, it's like when when Caleb left, they replaced. You know, they just got another Caleb. You know, they got <laughs> they got another straight man. Basically, you know, it's like I don't know if that was intentional. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about the Fizzle Show, which you can go check out at fizzle.co dash, ah, blah, fizzle.co slash show. And uh, it used to be Chase, Caleb, and Corbett. And now it's Chase, Corbett, and Barrett. And uh, yeah, it's like, like you're, you're, I mean, you got the deep voice. You don't pipe up much, but when you do, it's just like, you know, 
extremely Bam. articulate and well thought out. It's, it's like a sentence with no wasted words, you know? I mean, you and Caleb are both that way. So, yeah, I, I wonder if that job description was like, um, just we need another Caleb, you know? It's pretty much like we need another Caleb and we need to maintain our average height of our team. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So is that your, uh, is that, is that your full-time deal? Full-time, all the time. I do two other things on the side. I run a nonprofit and I'm also part of a group called the uh, Global Shapers. That's a part of a worldwide organization, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of have like three things that I do, but fizzles my job. That's what I do full-time. It's, it's what I focus my days on, spend all my energy on it. Yeah. And um, it's kind of crazy that you're, well, maybe you're not from Atlanta, but you're, you live in Atlanta. You don't sound like you're from Atlanta. Everyone says that, you know, I was born in Florida and then I've lived in Atlanta for my whole life. Basically, I moved here when I was five and I've been here ever since. So I am definitely from the South, although Florida is not really the South, but I don't have that like twangy twang, uh, Southern accent. Yeah, I don't either. I grew so, up in Atlanta. And you're I, in the new, you're in the new now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I was born in Chattanooga, but then my parents moved down to Atlanta about a year later. And I saw, so I spent, uh, I didn't leave the Southeast like to live and like live somewhere else until I was early twenties. So nice. So I, I, um, I never got the accent either. I don't know why my wife's family is totally different. They're all like, they're, they're like Southern. It's like Southern history. Like, you know, they can go back like 400 years or whatever to, you know, who owned what in South Georgia. <laughs> it's like crazy. There's and, something in that. Yeah. And they all talk like, you know, they all talk like I imagine Colonel Sanders talks or talked you know, um, it's not, it's not like a redneck Southern, but it's that, it's that, that, that gentlemanly Southern. It's like, oh, that, yeah. it's like that warm, you know, like Robert Duvall in pretty much all of his movies, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's like the, the plantation twang. Yeah, exactly. The sophisticated twang. The sophisticated Southern. That's exactly it. And they all sound like that. My wife doesn't really, but her whole side of the family does. And, uh, yeah, I kind of wish I could do it. I wish I could, uh, um, imitate it. I can't really like Chase tries to do the Southern, but his Southern ends up sounding more just like homosexual and Southern. Right. So. Exactly. He does. He adds, <laughs> he adds the homosexual twang in there with it. And then it's like, who are you imitating? right I'm now? Not, who, I'm not sure. Yeah. Who did you meet that gave you this impression of, <laughs> he's just like, praise Jesus. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's like, I don't know, just throw Jesus in there and, and, uh, uh, think of a gay friend and you got Southern apparently. Oh, so man, well, I always, I always said, if I ever write a book someday, uh, it'll be a memoir about growing up in the South and it'll be called, uh, sweet tea and sweet Jesus. There you go. That pretty much sums it up pretty well. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you grew up there, but you, you, you know, are you, uh, well, well I don't know. Like, are, are your roots there? You know, like I said, like my wife's family, like is your, is your family and extended family and previous generations all from the South? East? So. On my mother's side of the family, she's got three sisters and her parents are divorced and both remarried. And two of her sisters and her mother and her mother's husband all live within about two miles of each other. So that's fun. Yeah. And then most of our family, extended family is in the area. My mom's got one branch that's like Mexican and they're out in Texas because they came from Mexico. So there's right. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, but, but I mean, so it goes back a ways. That's what oh, I'm saying. Yeah. Yep. We've been around for a while. 
man, how do you not, how do you not sound like it then? Like the reason I don't sound like it is because my parents didn't come. My, my, my dad was Canadian. My mom was from Baltimore and, you know, um, I had no extended family that was in the South. So, you know, uh, well, my dad's from Wisconsin and my mom's family, you know, was like half Mexican, half not. So we've been around Atlanta for a while, but we're not like, you know, we didn't grow up on the plantations or whatever. So <laughs> we don't, we don't know the land grab history of the state. <laughs> oh man. That's so funny. Every time my wife's or, uh, grandfather and grandmother come to visit my, her, her, uh, her grandfather, Rodney, which is just a great Southern name. Rodney, Fitz, great Southern. Rodney Fitzgerald is, um, is his name. And yeah, you get, you get the entire history of, you know, of, you know, the family from 1700s on basically, um, whatever he visits, but, and you can't understand a lot of it because it's, you know, as he's gotten older, that Southern accent has, uh, has gotten, um, uh, yeah, it's just like, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> and I bet you wish you had your little podcast button to speed it up too. Yes. Yes. It, it, it does. There is that slow, everything is like sitting on the front porch and just, you know, everything is slowed way down. I think it's because of the heat. I think it's the humidity and heat. It slows everything way down. The humidity is the real deal. If you've never been to the South in the summer, you don't know what humidity means. Yeah. Like my sister lives in Charleston. Have you ever been to Charleston in the summer? Steamy. I mean, it's, it's unbearable. Like you can't even, I don't know how they do it. Like I, I can't, I can't handle it. So I got my dad's Canadian blood, I think. You know, I don't like the heat. So... And yet here I am in the Southeast. Eh? So, yeah. So, uh, so that's the question for you is when are you moving to Portland? Fun times, man. We're just really kicking it off guns a blazing. So the fun fact is, uh, starting in probably April, I'll be there a fair amount. Really? Uh, I was, I was joking, but seriously. No, no. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're all in on this fizzle thing and we want to make it happen. And I think at least for a time, that probably means us being in the same place as much as possible. Yeah. So just traveling a lot or like, uh, you know, like finding a furnished space to rent for four months or something. Uh, we'll probably start off by me just completely harassing Chase and Corbett's, uh, families and interrupting their personal <laughs> lives. And then we'll move on from there. Nice. Uh, do you have kids? I do not. I have a, uh, longtime girlfriend who will sometime soon be more than that. And, uh, does she know she about that? About which? About the sometime soon being more than that. She knows in the future we will get engaged <laughs> at some point. Oh, okay. All so right. that, that conversation's been had. That's a, it's okay to make it public. And, uh, and yeah, she's, I mean, she's a working professional. She's got a great career of her own. So that's obviously a consideration for us and, and a big balance for us about how do we manage two careers and make sure we're, we're being respectful of both. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. How, ha how has it been, um, working, uh, you know, cause fizzle is, I don't know if there's other people that do, you know, like, uh, outsourced things or whatever, or if it really is just the three of you, but how has it been with you being so far away and, you know, every, basically the whole rest of the team being the same spot? Yeah, it's challenging. Uh, it really is just the three of us. We don't outsource anything. Um, and it was okay, kind of, when uh, Corbett was in San Francisco and Caleb was down in San Diego and uh, Chase was up in Portland because, you know, we were truly all in different cities. Um, 
But then when Caleb left to do his own thing, it was like, okay, so fine. They're West Coast time. I'm East Coast time. We can handle this. I kind of work like 11 to 7 to make up for the time differential. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of 2014, when Corbett moved to Portland, it was like, okay, so this is, you know, we're kind of consolidating here. <laughs> and there's probably some advantages to that, at least for the core team. You know, I don't, I don't think we'll have everyone that ever works for Fizzle on the same place. I don't think it's necessary, but we're kind of at a growth stage where if we want to get beyond like this chasm that we're at, we need to really hustle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hence the, uh, potential, potential move. So precisely. Exactly. So what do you, I don't really know what you do or what you like to do. Um, I think, I think Chase is right when he, you know, you do have this very, CEO corporate, like you go to your website and it's this very fancy picture of you on a TEDx stage, you know? So it's, um, you know, that's, that's my impression is suit and tie, you know, um, corporate guy. So what, uh, I don't know if that's true or not though. Like what's, what's your, what's your story? Cool, man. Well, I'll take you back to the old days. Um, actually I won't take you back that far. I'll take you back to the early career days. So I started my career at Ernst & Young in their consulting practice did the whole corporate thing and was like, Oh my God, this is not going to work for me long term. Um, why not? It's just the culture, uh, the, how miserable people were on my team that showed up there every day. There was just a lot about that company that, well, not the company, but specifically the team I was working on at the time and the work that they did. It was just like, okay, so we're adding a few dollars to the bottom lines of the companies that we're consulting for and they're massive as it is, and they're so far removed from their consumers, they're so far removed from their employees that it doesn't really feel like you're doing much in the world. And for me, like I really like to feel that I'm having impact on lives, on people, on individuals that I can speak to, that I can see, that I can feel their emotions and like work with them to make their lives better. And consulting and investment banking and accounting are pretty much the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, and so I knew pretty quickly I wanted to get out of that world. And that trigger point came from, I volunteered at a summer camp, uh, where you have this like one-to-one relationship with the kids at the camp because they've been abused or neglected or neglected and they're in state custody. So they don't really have a family life and they have a really hard time adjusting to like this reality of having been through that traumatic experience. And so I just spent this week with this kid and I got out the other end of it and it was like, man, I just like really affected this kid's life in five days. And the amount of impact I had on that kid in five days is more than I would probably have in 10 or 20 years in the job I'm currently in. Is that really how I want to spend my life? Yeah. And so for me, that was the point when I went back and it was like pretty much immediately I quit that job and moved on to starting a company called Living for Monday. Uh, well, I mean, just, okay, let me interrupt for a second though, because sure, getting yeah. into that Ernst and Young, you know, corporate banking, you know, all that stuff, whatever that was, you just mentioned, you know, th- that's not something you do in a month. I mean, uh, it probably took, uh, education and a lot of work to get there. So, I mean, why, why don't you think that you figured out through all those, you know, all that time of preparation that this wasn't for you? Well, so if we go back to college, my, my freshman year of college, um, I was an idiot, like worst person to hang out with biggest douchebag on the planet, drank way too much to the point, like (laughs) I had a drinking problem, got arrested for it, uh, spent a night in jail, had probation for like 18 months, was on school probation for two years, like really tried to screw my life up pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And 
at that time, I, I kind of came to a crossroads of like, okay, so are you going to take yourself seriously here or at least a little bit seriously and turn your life around? Or are you just going to go down this path of kind of being a screw up and finding wherever that leads? Mm, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess I just kind of saw that my parents had taken good enough care of me for my whole life. They had given me everything I ever needed and not in like a babying kind of way, but like they had provided for me. Right. I mean, I was yeah. going to school for free and and I owed it to them to show up and, and take myself a little bit seriously at, le- at least. So, so for you being serious was, you know, corporate, you know, corporate America, basically. Yeah, I think that was the ultimate kind of embodiment of it was I was going to go to business school. I knew that my mom's been a business person her whole life and like a great mentor to me. And I knew that business was the route I needed to go or wanted to go, I guess. Um, mostly cause I didn't know what else I would do if it wasn't business. And the kind of pinnacle of graduating from business school is you go to an investment bank and accounting firm or a consulting firm. Yeah. And so for me, that was like the embodiment of having turned around what I had tried to screw up my freshman year. And, um, and I don't know that I thought too much about like, Hey, is there something else maybe that would better use my skills? And I think at that point in life, it's just really hard to know any different. Yeah. It's like, that's what everyone's doing. So yeah, I'm going to try and be the best of what everyone's doing. Cause that's smart. What did you want? What did you like when you were a kid, like growing up, like, what did you, what did you want to be? What were you drawn to? It was like the typical, I want to be a, a major league baseball player kind of thing. Um, I was way into sports growing up, super competitive, always good at what I did, but always like the smallest kid on the field. And so I had this kind of underdog man, Rudy type mentality. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I just worked my ass off on the sports field and like ended up captaining my high school soft or softball baseball team and led us to the semifinals of state when we hadn't been to the state playoffs in like years and years. So, you know, athletics was a major part of my identity. I was pretty smart growing up, but I just, I love that competitive streak that came from being on a field and competing to win at something. Yeah. I see, I, I don't know, man. It's just the thing. Like I'm so non-competitive. Like my only trophy is from T-ball. So that's so funny. I, I don't know where it comes from. Right. And I've had to like learn to channel that to where it's not, I win, you lose, but it's, can I compete against myself to just be better at whatever it is I'm doing? Yeah. Like my, my wife gets pissed at me because we'll, she'll be playing a game or something. It's family game night. And, and she's just like, Adam, come on, you're not taking this seriously, you know? And I'm like, what? it's just a, it's just a fucking game. Come on. Like, what's the deal here? I don't care if I win at Uno, you know, who gives a shit? And it's like, she's like, you should care. You know? <laughs> I just, I am not competitive, man. Maybe I shouldn't be an entrepreneur then. I don't know. No, this, I don't know. This I conversation might change that. everything, Barrett. <laughs> well, I'll I'm, do my best. I mean, I showed up to change your life today, Adam. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm starting to realize, I'm starting to realize maybe, maybe there's some changes to be made, but so, so sports, but you decided what, what made you think you couldn't do it? Like what made you not like go all the way to trying to be, you know, major league, whatever. Honestly, it was just like, I think I probably could have played college ball at a minimum. And truly it just came from the fact that my parents weren't willing to spend thousands of dollars a year for me to play travel baseball. Yeah. And so at the time when all the 13 year olds went off to start travel baseball and like spend 200 days out of their year doing that, my parents were kind of like, listen, you're going to keep playing rec league and you can be the best kid there and like whatever, but we're not paying that amount of money. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And that pretty much predetermined my path because when you're on the travel league path, coaches show up to come and scout. And if you're not, they don't know who you are. Um, do you think you had it though? I mean, do you think if, if you had been able to do that, like, I'm, I'm sure you know yourself a little bit better now. Like, do you think you had what it, what it would have taken or do you think you wouldn't have made it anyway? 
Yeah, I definitely think I had what it would have taken. Um, so that bother you? I, like, are you, are, I mean, do you look back and go, man, like I, I had what it took. I could be doing the thing I've always wanted to do, but it's too late now because I didn't have that opportunity. I'm actually kind of glad I didn't because I truly just want to be the best at whatever it is that I'm doing. And that was kind of all I knew that I loved. I just hadn't explored new areas that I could love as much as I loved that at the time. Yeah. And so it would have been really easy to just get tied up in this whole baseball thing and make that my life and be on the road however many hundred days a year and and never know that there's something else out there for me. And so in some ways, I think it kind of ended up the way it's supposed to. You know, fine, I'm not playing baseball and it's not that big of a deal. Like if I want to go play softball on the weekends, great, I can. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, you know, spending all of my waking energy on being a better athletic specimen or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, so what, what, you know, I mean, you clearly didn't love the corporate world. You see, you went down that path, clearly didn't love that. Um, you were, you were saying you, you had the, the, the summer camp experience, then you quit your job and like, what was next after that? So if we go back to college real quick, just cause this gives some context for what happened next. Um, I did two things in college that really changed me in a big way. Number one was I took part in this two year leadership development program where, you know, they put us through like all these assessments and put us in working teams on community projects and had us create like this personal life development plan and all this kind of thing. And yeah, and that, that was really transformative because they ask you all these questions that like you have no idea what the answers are and there's no right answer. It's just learn something about yourself, like be intentional about your life, set, set a path for yourself. And I that hate really those damn me. tests. They're hard. And it's, it's like, there's, there's no right answer and it changes over time. But what I've found is that the more, the older I get, the more I fulfill those things that I laid out for myself. And it's very like energetic and fulfilling for me to see that. And it's, it doesn't feel like a burden at all. It just feels like, yeah, of course this is what I'm doing now. Cause this is what I'm meant to be doing now. Uh, so that was one thing. And then the other thing was I went to uh, University of Oxford in England and studied for a semester. And for anyone who doesn't know, like what the Oxford Cambridge education system is like, it's almost the polar opposite of what our university system is like in the U.S. And so instead of going to big lectures all the time, you go to these small group discussion classes where it's the professor and like two of you or six of you. Yeah. And if you show up unprepared, you are fucked. So, and then <laughs> like, in bet- like, like in what way? Like you're going to get, you know, just fucked as in bad grade or as in you're going to get humiliated or uh, humiliated, all, all the above? Humiliated for like 90 minutes straight. Okay. They're just going to pound on you, ask you question after question and ask why you don't know the answers or why you don't have a thought, an informed thought on this. Um, so, and then in between each class each week, you were supposed to write like a 10 page paper. And so you're taking two classes at a time, writing 20 pages a week. There's no right answers. Each week they give you a reading list that's like 20 books long. It's not possible to read it all. So you have to figure out which sources are going to help you form an argument around this open-ended question they give you. And number one, that's where I learned to write. When I got there, my professors basically laughed at how bad my writing was (laughs) because that just wasn't a part of business school education. Yeah. And then the second thing was you had to learn to think for yourself because up to that point in accounting and finance classes, like there is a right answer. It's either right or wrong. In Oxford, it's either uh, well-argued or not well-argued. So you can make a thousand different points. And what they want to see is that you can form an argument and back it up with research and sources from your reading. And so in many ways, that whole experience 
reintroduced me to like my love of learning and the possibility of reading and then forming arguments around it. And I think that led me down the path to blogging, exploring ideas online meeting with people, you know, kind of being open to possibility as opposed to, oh man, I got to be structured with everything I do and always find a right answer to everything. So it's interesting though, because I feel like that's exactly what education should be. And it frustrates me that it's not. And it frustrates me that I don't feel like I'm organized enough to homeschool my kids because that's the experience I want them to have. But that's, that's what it is. It's, it's all about, it's all about at least here anyway. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know what like undergraduate is in the UK or whatever, but, um, it's, it is, it's just about, it's, it's about preparing you for a fucking test, man. It's just about, you know, the teachers need you to pass a test so they don't get, you know, in trouble with the government or something. And it's, it's not about exploration and learning to think, you know, and, um, yeah, I don't know. That's frustrating to me. It's terrible. I hate it. I, there's so much wrong with what we're doing right now. And it just doesn't seem that hard to me on the changes we need to make, but we just can't agree on anything. You know, instead of going towards teaching creativity and curiosity and like the ability to solve open-ended problems, instead we're going towards more testing and more right answers. And it's like, it's not the way the world works. Yeah. Yeah, You need to know some fundamentals of some things, but at the end of the day, there are no right answers to this stuff. The cure for cancer is an open-ended question that nobody's been able to figure out. Making the gently mad profitable is an open-ended question that's going to be hard to figure out. You know, like these we're going to figure that out right now. Let's do it. No, I, I, you see, I, I feel like that has affected me even as an entrepreneur, and and you know, a negative way because, um, you know, I, I'm constantly on this search. You know, I'm constantly looking for the not maybe not the right answer, but the every there's a, there's a correct and an incorrect way to do everything uh, somewhere deep in my brain. And so I'm always looking for the right answer, the correct way, the right path, you know, and, and that is so hard because in so much of this stuff, there isn't any of that. You just got to figure it out, you know, and it's really hard when you've been trained your whole life to, you know, solve for X, you know, there, there is an answer here, you know, you just, it's, it, it, for me, for a lot of years, it's been paralyzing because I can't find the answer. So I just don't do anything. Yeah, definitely. I think it is paralyzing and we're doing a complete disservice to people by making them think that there is some magic right answer and you're always going to get a gold star and an A. Like, fuck that. That's not truth. Yeah, I know. Well, so, okay. So you, you, you had that experience and, um, yeah. And that informed what you did after you quit. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's also what led me to be so dissatisfied in an environment where they wanted me, where I needed the approval of someone every time I did something or where they were telling me whether I was right or wrong. When the reality was there is no right or wrong in that situation, in many of those situations. And so I think I was on a path to number one, find something that would impact real people. And number two, find something where I could explore open-ended questions that there were no answers because that's challenging and interesting to me. And that led me to start Living for Monday, which was the thing I did for the next three years. And what was Living for Monday? So Living for Monday was a number of things over time, but it essentially started out as career centers are broken because they don't teach students how to find the jobs that are right for them. They teach students how to be cattle to get into the jobs that make placement rates acceptable for the university. 
Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the hypothesis was this is broken. It needs to be fixed somehow. And so I set out to kind of create a curriculum for college students so that they could learn the skills necessary to go out and find their own jobs with interesting companies doing work that matters to them. Now, was this just articles you were writing? Were you writing books? Were you creating courses? Like, what was this? So it was like the typical blog and podcast-based business where I ran a blog, I ran a podcast, interview-based podcast, and then I also created this like 250-page, 12-lesson course, written and video course for college students to move through in their uh, like second to last semester of college, basically. What time frame is this? Like, what year are we talking about when you did this stuff? This was um, 2012-ish, so two end of 2011 to middle of 2014. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. Okay. I was thinking that it might've been before that, but that's, you know, that's the time when a lot of people were starting to do this kind of stuff, you know, with, with like the podcasting and the blogging and the courses and, and, and all that stuff. But so, um, I'm assuming you found a way to make that profitable if you did it for that long or, or were you, were you, uh, getting your income from somewhere else? Well, I had a, a fair amount of money saved up at the beginning that I lived off of for a while. And then I basically was just poor for a while um, <laughs> while we were trying to figure out the right model for it. I did some coaching and consulting to generate some revenue during that time too, outside of like the core work I was doing. Uh, and then eventually we raised a little over $100,000 to kind of fund the ongoing efforts of it so I could hire another person because I really need a team to work well. And... Um, and that was kind of how we fu- f- uh, funded the pat or like last year, year and a half. So raised as in like a typical startup would raise venture capital kind of thing. Yep, traded equity for dollars. I see. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by that whole world because I have it, it's it, it might as well be you know time travel to me. Like I don't right. know how anyone gets money from an angel investor and all these people, you know, I've talked to a few people in San Francisco and it's just like, it just feels like this completely foreign world. I mean, I'm in the, like the, every business I've ever started has just been me and they've all been bootstrapped, you know, and they pretty much all failed. (laughs) So it's like, uh, it's such a weird, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whole different world. But so you did that. What made you, uh, quit that? Was it the offer from Fizzle? So ultimately we got to the point where, the whole like serving college students thing was clearly not going to work. They're a terrible target market because they don't have any money. (laughs) Right. And their parents aren't like going to PTA meetings either. So you can't find them in any one place. And career centers at colleges who presumably could use some better tools to help their students don't want to hire anyone externally because then they have to admit that they suck at their jobs. (laughs) Right. So I basically just picked a terrible market with a solution that worked. We ran a 12-week pilot program at my alma mater, the business school, and like crushed their overall placement rates with the people that went through the program. So we proved results from the program, and yet there just was no way to make money off of it. So Hmm. about that time we were finding that out, I went to work uh, for Seth Godin for two weeks, and... That just changed everything about my thinking about business, about running a business, about project-based thinking, about working with a powerful team. How does one work for Seth Godin for two weeks? Um, He put out one of his typical application deals on his blog, and I applied alongside like however many hundreds or thousands of other people, and I got picked out of a hat to show up for two weeks with a team of 15 others and 
Try yeah. this project that he wanted to try. But I've heard that. I've had other friends who, one other friend who did the same thing. And, and I just wondered, like, what, what was, what was those, what were those two weeks? Like, what did you do for two weeks? Basically, we tried to build a web platform uh, with a bunch of courses in two weeks. Huh. So, it, so it was just like an idea that Seth had. And he just said, he said, you know, anyone want to come help me do this thing for two weeks? Yeah. And he paid us. I mean, it was like a paid gig. Right. And he hired a variety of, of marketers, strategists, designers, developers. I mean, we had a, a world-class team in the room as far as what we were capable of putting together. Yeah. Um, and we called it Krypton. And the idea was that we were going to build curricula based on um, the collective works of certain authors or thought leaders. So think like taking Malcolm Gladwell's most recent book and turning it into an actionable course that you can apply to your life with a group of friends in your city. Yeah. So kind of like an old school book club meets one of these new school kind of courses. And we produced these beautifully designed guides with uh, discussion questions. And the whole premise was you gather a group of your friends in Chattanooga, you meet with them for four weeks, go through this course together and come out the other side having changed each other or taken on some project together. Yeah. It's like Bible study without the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and anyone else in the Southeast will know what I'm talking about by that. Exactly. So, uh, did it work? Um, it worked in that we learned a lot, you know, uh, but we were ultimately a little bit too ambitious with the actual, uh, technology platform that we tried to build from scratch. And that was a big limiter. So that was a challenge. We didn't quite get that to launch in the two week time period. And then also we saw that people were scared to be the leader. Like yeah. they would show up but they didn't want to be the person to go out on a limb to invite their friends to join them to this thing because it's unprecedented. Like you don't call your friends up and be like, Hey, you want to read a book with me next week? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. And if it's not the standard, if it's not something that people are used to, it's scary. And so we found that people really weren't willing. They wanted a leader. They wanted Seth to lead them. They wanted one of us to lead them. They didn't want to have to be the leader themselves. Yeah. Well, okay. So backing up a little bit, when you decided to do, when you put in your application for this thing, um, was that with the potent? Were you thinking, okay, this is a potential to turn into um, a long-term, you know, company deal, or, or did you know that this was this was just a two-week? It was two weeks with Seth Godin, and that's why I'm doing it. Well, the two weeks with Seth Godin was why I did it, but um, there was the possibility, and he said this up front, of a core team staying on to run the thing if it if it lived in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was always in the back of my mind, like, yeah. I would definitely want to run a thing if that was working and it was cool. And I got to be mentored by Seth along the way. Uh, you know, I mean, he's just a great thinker and he really transforms the way people view their work and their personal lives even. Um, and so that was always in the back of my mind, but it wasn't why I showed up. I mean, I showed up to work alongside interesting people for a guy I respect and just see what happens basically. He definitely, you know, yeah. I can, I can, I can agree with that. I mean, I got to talk to him for about 40 minutes, um, for the show. And I feel like that episode basically, um, uh, changed, like changed everything. I mean, and, and I don't even know how to describe how it changed everything. Um, and maybe it's all in my head. I don't know, but he's just but, one of those guys where it's like, it's just, uh, I, yeah, I can't even describe it. I just, I just, but you know, it being, it being in your head is reality for you. That's all that matters. Yeah. Right. I mean, all he needs to do is change your head a little bit and that could be everything you need to be running the business you want. And yeah. that's the point I think. And that's why it's so hard to describe. Well, that's, I just feel like that, that, that converse, short conversation with him 
just set me on a different path because, you know, anyone who's listened to that interview knows, like, I felt like I, I kept trying to, I kept trying to pull, I kept trying to pull East. I kept trying to pull him in a certain direction. He kept trying to pull me in another direction with what he was saying. And, and I didn't get it in the conversation, but after the conversation, when I was miserably depressed, cause I felt like I just fucked up the whole interview, um, and wasted that opportunity. I went back and listened and I, re- I actually listened to what he was saying and it started to click and um, it just, uh, yeah, it was very transformative just even with 30 minutes. So like you said that that experience like changed everything for you. Like in what, what can you expand on that? Like in what way? Well, so it changed the way I thought about living for Monday. It really helped me come to the conclusion that we were targeting the wrong people with our initial effort and kind of put that chapter of the business to bed and then a, a lot of the concepts we were applying, a lot of the designs we were applying to the Krypton project could directly apply to Living for Monday afterwards if I wanted them to. And so it made me start thinking differently about, hey, could we be number one for someone else that's actually able and willing to pay us? And number two, could we create more than just career search stuff? Because I was getting tired of like, here's how you build a resume and here's how you go right. do an interview and all this kind of thing. And so we that... I came back pretty fired up to say, okay, let's build something for young professionals who have money and let's do more than just career search. Let's look at soft skills training. So public speaking and communication skills at work and whatever else. Basically fizzle. So (laughs) something similar, except for people working for other people instead of entrepreneurs, people working for other people. No, I I was kind of joking, but there is the theme of, of education and training through like your whole story here. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Um, and so it was, it was kind of like a combination of Krypton and what I was seeing from Fizzle and the, the group I wanted to help of my peers at that time. And the ironic part was we went through this whole redesign of the website and we were kind of pitching our investor on why we needed a little bit more cash flow each month, but not overall in order to uh, produce our courses because we didn't have that skill set in-house from a video standpoint. Yeah. And he was just kind of like, nope, I don't get it. I'm not doing this internet thing anymore. You can come to work for me or you can go find something else to do. And so that's kind of when that, that chapter came to a close. And the ironic part was we started the way you're supposed to start a business that time. We started with a target market that we knew had money. We tested the idea before we ever made anything with like 25 young professionals who were exactly in our target market. We sat them down. They ran through our like, uh, screen flows of uh, what we wanted the thing to look like yeah, and gave us feedback on it. And the great irony in this thing was we showed them these 12 courses that we imagined being our initial ones. And the one thing that they said they thought was missing when we asked them that was career search or career change. <laughs> yeah. And so what was fascinating about that was we thought we needed to change everything about the business, but really all we needed to change was go to a market that understands why finding a career that matters is important because college students have never experienced the reality of a shit job. Yeah. But young professionals who are five years out of school, they have, and they're willing to pay to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And so if we had just switched that focus area from students to young professionals five years out and let's say consultants, bankers, and accountants, I think we could have really been onto something. But at that point, our investor was like, Hey, I'm out of here. Yeah. So at that point, you're looking for a new job and, and, and Fizzle was there waiting or was there an in-between period there or what? 
No, I mean, I had no idea what plan B was going to be after living for Monday. I mean, I was all in on that. I didn't allow myself to have plan B because I think that moves you towards it when you have it in your mind. And it just happened to be that Fizzle was hiring. I had some conversations with some other entrepreneurs in Atlanta and I had several job offers there within a week or two, which was thrilling because it was like, I I wasn't even looking, but because I had been public with the work that I was doing and I showed that I could launch something and take intelligent risks and serve people, even if it wasn't profitable, that attracted people to me or a person like me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting hearing the story though, because like, I mean, I went to college, but I I don't know, like I I didn't have any of those experiences. Like I I never, I don't know. I like, I, I never worried about a resume. I never worried about a job. I had been working since I was 15 you know, and I, I worked full time um, from the time I was 17 to 22. And then I went to college then because I just was tired of the job I was doing, decided to do college. And, and I've just always had an, I, I don't know, I've always had an easy time, you know, I would just decide, oh, I want to do this. And then I just go and, and figure out how to make money doing that. You know, it, it's never been a struggle to do that. And so like these core, the type of stuff you're talking about, um, it's interesting. I guess I'm just in the, I mean, it's interesting in that I'm guessing a lot of people would identify with that struggle. Um, but I wonder how many people there are like me who just, um, you know, would, would never even think about, I, I don't think I've ever written a resume in my life. So I'm trying to say, and, and I've only been self-employed for the last six years. You know, I've had many jobs, but I just, you know, like the example I always like to give, like when I was in college, I, I decided I wanted to be a writer. I had no experience, but I'd always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. And I thought maybe I can be a writer. So I went to my local newspaper and I sat down and said, um, would you like someone to work for free? I will come in uh, two days a week for four hours and do whatever you want me to do. And they said, well, absolutely. We would like someone to do that. And so then I was in there. And then I just started making myself valuable to those people. And I eventually convinced one of them to let me write this one little one inch, one paragraph, you know, grand opening. And they liked it. And then they gave me a bigger assignment and then a third assignment. And then two weeks later, they offered me a full time job as a reporter, you know, and that's how I've gotten every job I've ever gotten. And that's how the world works. Like the only people who need resumes are college students trying to get jobs at corporations. I mean, I haven't ever made a resume outside of that first job either because you don't need it especially now with online tools where you can represent your real work. I mean, if somebody goes to my website now, you can see every project I've ever done and every interview I've ever done and whatever. And you can know everything about me you want to know from the fact that I've been arrested to the fact that I started a company and failed, you know, whatever you want to know about me, you can know. And there's no reason for me to send you a resume unless you're terrible at your job as an HR person or as a CEO (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. I just think it's, 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 you know, if you're going to be in big corporate America, then there are certain requirements. You have to have the diploma. You have, there, there are hoops you have to go through if you want that kind of thing. But it just is so far from my mind. Like I can, you know, when I was younger, I used to consider, you know, that would be the, you know, the dream, you know, corporate America and BMW and all that stuff. But I don't know the last five, 10 years with what the internet has turned into, like, I couldn't imagine, like, I just couldn't imagine it. I could not imagine being in that position, like, let alone corporate America, but just working for 
someone, you know, um, that sounds kind of negative. I don't mean like just working for anyone, but I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, the, the it's autonomy. Is, it's, it's just so broken right now. Everything about so much of our traditional old school corporate world is broken from products to supply chains, the way they hire people to the way they treat their people. I mean, there's a lot of broken companies out there. And my dream's always been that Fizzle will help people create companies where it's fun to go to work. Yeah. I mean, imagine a world where that happens, where people do enjoy working together and they don't demonize their work every day. I mean, that sucks that that's the reality in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely tough. You know, I, I'm in a world where I'm in a world of entrepreneurs where everyone's trying to do their own thing. And, and that's a completely, almost a completely different set of struggles. And I talk to friends who have jobs that they hate and, and it's almost hard to communicate sometimes because they don't get the struggles that I have. I don't get the struggles that they have. And it's just, um, it's, it's, they're just two completely, two completely different worlds. But, um, but so I was going to ask you about that. So, I mean, I guess I always kind of interpreted Fizzle as like, you know, trying to help create entrepreneurs. And is, is that incorrect? No, Fizzle is definitely creating entrepreneurs. But at some point, a successful entrepreneur needs to hire people. And so the last thing we want is for you as entrepreneur who's built a business, thanks to our help, for you to be a shitty employer. Yeah. Like we don't need you to add to the problem there. You know, yeah, getting you out of that world is step one, but step two is you rescuing rescuing other people from that world by creating a great place to work. But is that is that always like I, maybe I disagree? Like I, I don't think uh, one necessarily leads to two. Like I don't think being an entrepreneur always leads to well, you've got to hire people. No, definitely not. I mean, you might be perfectly happy being a solopreneur, and if that's the case, we we want that for you. But if you want to hire people. We don't want you to be the asshole boss that everyone talks about over dinner on Friday night. And the vast, vast majority of our customers aren't hiring people. But what we're starting to see is Fizzle is whatever, two and a half years in now. And we're starting to have success stories where people are growing real companies or not real companies, but like big companies now where like one guy that's our customer and has been from the beginning uh, has six or seven people working for him now. And so now he's not just a solopreneur. I mean, he's a, a true CEO. Yeah. He's got to figure out how to manage people and how to hire people and, and what that looks like because uh, he's never been there before. And so for us, I think as we continue to grow and serve people and they have longevity with us and we have longevity with them, we've got to figure out how to serve their growing needs too as entrepreneurs. So we'll adapt over time, I think. Yeah. What do you think, um, uh, in, in a recent episode, you guys discussed a question I submitted. I don't know how, how long ago did you guys record that? What's the, what's the, um, the time difference between when you record and when you release? Sometimes it's like 12 hours and sometimes <laughs> it's four weeks. It, nice. it kind of depends on our travel schedules and what we have going on or whatever, but the typical time frame is within one to two weeks. Okay. So you, rec- I, I said in this question, you guys spent a lot of time talking about it and um, I, I really wished I could jump into the, the, my iPhone when I was listening and be a part of the conversation. So I recorded a whole response that I think was longer than the <laughs> segment you spent talking about it. Um, but it was all about, you know, this, this, this struggle of, of, of doing your own thing now, which is something that's possible that wasn't possible, you know, or as possible 10 years ago. And, um, I guess the question I'm getting at is, uh, for people 
like myself who, you know, they don't want to go work for a company and they don't want to build a big company that has employees and all this stuff. They just want to do their own thing, whatever that may be. Like I, I, I identify with you and like just the love of learning and exploring, you know, like I would love to be able to just do that. And that's what I do actually most of the time. But the problem is, is, is finding a way to get, get paid for that. And so, um, you know, what do you tell, you know, one thing, sorry, this question is like uh, a mess. Uh, one thing Seth Godin said in my conversation with him that just kind of like, you know, blew the back of my head out a little bit because I realized that's exactly what I'm trying to do is like, he, he, he said, you know, if you, if you were going to force your job, which is the thing that makes your income and your work, the thing that you're passionate about, if you're going to force those two to be the same thing and you're going to bootstrap your way into it, then you're going to end up crippling both of them. And um, I don't know that he's absolutely right, but still it was like a punch in the gut because it's like, well, that, well, man, shit, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And so um, I guess what I'm getting at is you had some very strong, you know, as usual on the show, um, you, you piped into my question with some very like, you know, authoritative, <laughs> authoritative advice. Like, like this is, you know, this is exactly what should be done, you know? So for the person who's trying to make their own way, like most of the listeners of this show, um, how do they get started? What do they do? I mean, do you have to have a job, you know, for a while? Is it possible to just, just dive all the way in and, and, and not drown? I mean, what would you do? Well, it depends on your, your personality, I think, number one. And it depends on where you are in life, how much money you have, how much comfort you need, how much comfort your family needs, you know? I mean, those are all real things. Like, I don't discount those things at all. Yeah. Um, I know for me, when I was starting Living for Monday and I wasn't making any money and we hadn't raised any money yet, and I was having a hard time buying groceries and, like, my debt was adding up, my girlfriend's debt was adding up. I mean, that's stressful, you know, that yeah. puts stress on your personal life. And, and then you put undue stress on the business and you make bad decisions. Yep. And so for me, you've got to figure out what's your baseline level of comfort that you're truly okay dealing with. Um, and you've got to make sure you can provide for that first. And so if your baseline level of comfort is sleeping in a tent in the woods and eating canned beans and walking down to the coffee shop every day to buy your cup of coffee and work on your computer, great you're going to have a long runway probably before you are really in bad shape. Sure. But most people can't deal with that, right? Like they have a kid or they have multiple kids and a wife or a significant other or whatever. And that puts you in a different space as far as what comfort means. And it's not just about you at that point either. You know, you've got to have an agreement on what is comfort. So for me, I'd start with what is my minimum, minimally tolerable comfort level? And I would ask myself, how long, if I quit earning money today, how long can I support that comfort level if I quit cold turkey and go do this thing I think I want to do, number one. Number two is, if you can't do that at all, or it's not at least six months, then you've got to figure out another way to earn money while you're building the thing you think you want to build. Yeah. Because the reality is, whatever that thing is, and this is so cliche, but it is going to take way more time and it's going to take way more resources and way more learning than you think it is, even yeah. if you have somebody like Fizzle helping you. And so 
if you're concentrated on putting food on the table tonight, you're not going to concentrate on doing the hard work necessary before you can ever earn a dollar. Yeah. Because all you're going to be thinking in the back of your mind is I got to earn money to buy food. And if we're telling you, Hey, you need to do a month of customer research. If you really want to have a great product, right. You're going to say, Hey, fuck you, man. I need food. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to figure out what's food mean to you and then go take care of that first and then use whatever time, as much time as you can beyond that to do the right thing so that you have a business that's sustainable after that. Yeah. See, I really struggle with that because like you said, you don't have a plan B because it just is a distraction. You know, um, I'm, I'm kind of the same way in that just all or nothing, you know, is, is what it is. And that's why like with a show and my course and stuff, it just, I just quit doing what I was doing and dove headfirst into this because I knew if I just kept trying to do it on the side, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, and I didn't know where the money was going to come from. I was just going to figure it out along the way. And maybe I just have a high tolerance for that kind of stress. I don't know. But um, it's, uh, it is very difficult because I feel like if I had a job, a regular job, you know, nine to five kind of thing, um, the, the business stuff, the stuff that we're talking about would never happen. You know, because I have two kids, I have a family, you know, there's piano lessons and ballet lessons and everything else, you know, every night of the week is filled with something um, like there's no time outside of that nine to five for something else. I mean, like may, now maybe you might hear that and go, yeah, there is time. You just haven't found it. Like <laughs> I, love no, how I, I'm know, I, I, mean- I love how I'm answering your question um, for you, but um, uh yeah, like what 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 do you do in that situation? I get that there's not time. I I I agree with you. I mean, I I think people you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have you know, you have to have those core relationships in your life or your life's going to fall apart. You might be able to sprint right now, but you're going to run into a wall that's really hard and it's not going to be a pleasant experience when you do. So, I agree with you. I mean, you can't do it all. Um and in some cases it might be right to drop everything. And so what I'll say I'll answer your question differently to say if you're going to drop everything, how should you start? Okay. So let's just assume you think you need to be all in to do your thing. Number one is I think you need to have a general topic. You need to have some general area that you're covering with your business. Um, number two is you need to have an audience that you're targeting with that topic and the intersection of the audience and the topic are usually what creates a unique market for you. Yeah. And then third, you need to have a business model that you're aiming for. So like, what's the business archetype that you're trying to build over time as far as how you're going to make money in the future. And I think if you have those three things kind of in place, or at least some estimates of what those are, now we can start to do some interesting stuff around, let's go have real conversations with real people who are in that market and interested in this topic. Yeah. And sit down with them and just ask them some basic questions, like buy them a cup of coffee, a dollar cup of coffee or $3 cup of coffee or whatever, and ask them, you know, what, What's your fitness life like? You know, you're a dad with two kids. How do you work out? How do you stay fit? And they might say, I don't, I don't have time for that. I have no idea how to stay fit. And it drives me mad because I used to be a fit guy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so now you're starting to get onto something. So dig deeper. So tell me about that. If you could work out, how would you fit it in? Or like, if you had to work out, if I were going to kill you, if you didn't, how would you do that? And so now they start to brainstorm solutions with you or or whatever. So, you know, you have an hour conversation with them and you really get to the heart of as a dad with two kids, what's it like to battle with the reality that you used to be fit and you want to be fit and you just don't have time. Yeah. And then you start to say, okay, so here's the core problem. I really, really understand this problem because 10 people have told me the same thing. 
And at that moment is when you know you have something that's important enough that it needs a solution. You don't know people will pay for it, but you do know that there's a real problem there. And now you can start thinking through, okay, how do I solve this problem in a way that they might be willing to pay for it? And you go out and you make something just small enough that they can see what it's going to become over time. A product yeah. just small enough or, or whatever, where they can see what it's going to be, but it's not yet thousands of hours of work into it. Yeah. And you say, hey, I've got this thing that's about to be exactly what you did, Adam. I've got this course that's about to be available. If you buy it now, it's whatever price. If you buy it later, it's another price. Yeah. Let me know if you want it. And if they buy it, great. Build the damn thing and hurry up about it because now you have real customers and you have money in the bank. Yeah. If they don't buy the thing, cancel it and go find something else to do. Yeah. But don't, you know, start with a real problem. Don't just solve some problem that doesn't exist in the world. See, that's part of it too. It's like that whole approach to business is, I've never done it that way, which is a problem, I would guess. But, um, cause to me, I don't, I don't know. Tell me if you identify with this. Like, I'm not so interested in what problems people have and solving those problems. Um, I'm interested, man, this, this is going to sound so, um, arrogant and maybe it is. <laughs> I just need to say it. I'm interested in getting what's in my head out of my head. Okay. And, uh, sometimes like with this show, it, whether it was right time, right place or whatever, it lands, you know, a lot of times it doesn't land. You know, when I started as a freelance web designer, I was very interested in being a web designer and I wanted to be a web designer. I didn't really think about whether or not anyone needed web design. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do and I would figure out a way to make money from it. And when I started the show or did my course, it wasn't because I thought there was a need out there for it. It was because this is just, damn it, this is what I want to do. All right, I'm going to do it and I will find a way to get some income from it somehow, some way. I don't know. I'll figure it out. And um, I mean, does that sound just like completely reckless to you? No, I think we all have that. I think we all do. We all want to get at what's in our heads out. And that's when we feel this moment, very small sliver of a moment of fulfillment for like two seconds before yeah. people start reacting, right? <laughs> yeah. like finally, I've, I've vomited that stuff onto the page that I've been thinking about for so long and I feel like I've purged myself of it. But what I would challenge you on is to say, what if they're not opposed to each other? If What if the problems that your audience has are things that you have opinions on that are in your head right now? And what if what they're telling you they need is simply a way to focus which order you get the shit out of your head in? Sure. And so that's the way I've looked at it is, okay, I've got all this stuff that I've learned over time, all these ideas that I want to express in the world. And if I can have other people tell me what order to do them in, number one, it's less painful for me because I don't know what the hell order I need to express them in for me sure. to feel better. And number two, there's probably going to be some kind of intersection there where it resonates with them. Yeah. And, it, and that's been helpful for me, at least, in finding both ideas that can make money or solve a person's need and get some stuff out of my head so that I never have to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, this is kind of what the whole the whole conversation I had with Chase about, which was episode two of the show, was just this never ending, like, I mean, that's what it all comes down to. It's just this search for fulfillment. And people find that in different ways. You know, some people find that in nine to five employment. I never have, you know, and and I find that what brings fulfillment to me often changes as my life changes and I get older, you know, web design was no longer fulfilling. So I changed it and I'm doing something different now. 
And it's, um, but it's always this chase of like trying to, you know, find the thing that's fulfilling. And I don't know, I, I feel like there's a problem there somewhere. It's, you know, it's somehow, somehow giving up on that and somehow just, you know, um, to me that I, I had another episode about this. It's just so me centric. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, Merlin Mann said this to me. He says that's like waking up every morning and, and, and asking the world what it owes you versus waking up in the morning and and thinking like, you know, what opportunities like what can I make of the world today? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with Merlin on that. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, my personal opinion is that you got to believe something about the world so strongly that you're willing to go out and make that shit happen. You know, yeah. some of the things I do, I hate. Some of the tasks that I have on a daily basis, it's like, damn, I got to do that again. But it's in the context of this bigger mission I'm on yeah. to, to change people's reality at work. I, I really believe that work is a core part of our identity. Like the things we make and the way we express ourselves through our work should be meaningful to us. And for the vast majority of people, it's not right now. And so whether it was Living for Monday or Krypton or Fizzle, what I'm trying to do is transforms people, transform people's thoughts about why they wake up day to day. Yeah. And you got to get at that. Like what's something that you believe needs to change for this whole spinning thing that we're on to matter? And for me, I've got a lot of those strongly held beliefs and that's how I focus my work. And without, because without that, if you're talented, there's too much shit you could be doing. Yeah. There's too many options and we're not good at that. We're very bad at that. Too many options screw us up in our heads. Yeah. And so you got to find a way to focus that stuff, at least in my experience. Yeah. So how, okay. So how have you, cause I, I'm exactly that way. Like I'm, 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 um, so much where, you know, I'm surprised that I'm doing this right now and I'm only doing it because I just, after so many years of doing nothing, I got fed up to the point where I was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do something. And I picked podcasting because I enjoy it, you know, yep. but I could have picked 20 other things. I'm not lying. I could show you a text document. I could have picked 20 other things that I would have enjoyed as equally as much. Um, so what do you do when you're in that place? And I understand that this sometimes just sounds like whining or whatever, but but yeah, it's like, it's a tough spot to be in when you feel like, you know, um, you're sort of that starving artist type, you know, like you just, you have stuff you want to make, you have stuff you want to explore, you're, you know, just curious about everything, but you have to make money too. And um, it's it's hard to know, it's hard to know what to do, you know, it's hard to know where where to throw the stick or which direction to go in when you could literally go in just about any direction and make something of it. It's definitely hard. And, and so uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, Cal Newport wrote a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Yeah. And in it, he talks about this idea of a dartboard and throwing a dart. And if each little square of the dartboard were a thing you could go do, you could just as easily throw a dart, pick the thing, and then go do that and be happy as if you think you're intentional about it. Yeah. And the point is more about developing the skill set around it and immersing yourself in whatever that topic or business idea or whatever is and becoming great at it. That's actually what develops our attraction and passion for it mm -hmm. is the, the craft yeah, and getting in the middle of that and becoming good at it. And between here and there, it's really fucking hard because you're not good at it. Yeah. And that part sucks. We hate that part. 
But everything, every topic has that part to it, whether it's podcasting or web design or whatever. You have to build the skills to get there. But in my experience, what has really convicted me is, for example, seeing my peers from college go into jobs where they've just basically written the rest of their life off. They say, okay, this is where I am. I am this in life. I am accountant in life. I am whatever in life. And I accept that as my reality. And for me, nights and weekends are when I do my thing or non-busy season is when I do my thing, like when I enjoy life. And that pisses me off so much because of what I know about those people and what I know they could be capable of if they weren't just tied up in some terrible opportunity, soul-sucking work that they're doing. You know, I have friends like that too, and I try to have those conversations with them, but it's like they're so jaded. I'm, 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 I'm like, you know, um, I say, well, what do you enjoy? What are you interested in? And they're like, nothing. I have no idea. I wouldn't even begin to know. You and know? I got convicted about that, that that's got to change. And so that was what set me on the path that I'm on now. And and as I continue to get exposed to new ideas, like last week I was at this conference in Switzerland with a bunch of business and political leaders and shit. And businesses, big businesses have a real problem with the way they make things and it being really bad for people in the earth. Like almost everything that gets made by a big company is really bad for you and me. <laughs> as far as like what's in it and what it does to our bodies and all that kind of shit. And that's a conviction that's growing in me that that needs to change. We need more companies who aren't just like completely fucking everything in favor of making money. And so like, that's another thing an incongruence in the world where I'm like, Hey, I could spend some time trying to make that better because I think that needs to change. And so for me, and maybe it's just my personality, but I see things like that and I'm like, damn, somebody's got to do something about that. Yeah. That needs to stop. And you don't stop it by going and protesting. And just for me, I don't do that by going and protesting. I do that by going and creating an alternative. And so for me, that's exactly what we're doing at Fizzle. It's like, hey, okay, if you're, you hate your life in a company and you, don't, you won't even answer a question about what are you interested in, I'm going to go show you a different path And even if you don't trust it at first, we're going to make it so that you are capable of building a business if you choose to. We can't make you, but we're going to give you the things necessary to have an alternative. Yeah. And so that's just how, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that works for everyone or not, but I observe and then I say that needs to change. Yeah. And I guess the way I try to change that is I spend a lot of time on the phone every week with people. But... The problem is I don't get paid for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. it's, and it's that like, goes back to Seth's point. It's yeah. like, maybe it's okay you don't get paid for that, Adam. Maybe you're pretty fucking good at this and maybe you resonate with a group of people who no one else can resonate with. And I think you probably do. And that's why you've seen the success you've seen with the show. And so what you got to ask yourself is, okay, what does that mean to you? What does that mean that the work you're doing on this show is valuable to people and yet you're not getting paid for it? Because what you're doing right now is you're building a course teaching other people how to do what you do, but half of them will never be able to do what you do, at least yeah. half, because you're you. Yeah. And so is that the answer? I don't know. I don't see you as a, a John Lee Dumas type, all respect to John, but he's, you know, he's a different kind of dude than you are. Yeah. And no, so, I'm- yeah, I don't know what the right answer is. I, I like the question that Seth posed to you because it, it is quite possible that you need to spend half your days making this show because that's the thing that you have to get out into the world. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of your days need to be spent designing websites or something because that's what you're good at and you can make money at it. Yeah, that was kind of his point too, is that he said, you know, some of us are lucky enough that our job and our work align, you know, but for some people it doesn't. 
you know, and but he also made a, a bigger point is that he said, you know, a job doesn't just have to be a job, you know, and, you know, I mean, you can go listen to that episode if you want to hear about all that. But it was it was it was very interesting as perspective on how, you know, you can make any job work. And definitely by work, meaning meaningful, you can make any job meaningful. And I um, love his perspective on that. And, and so here's the thing, Adam, like what I would challenge you on is between here and wherever there is where you make money from this radio slash podcast thing, make every episode better than the last episode. And I think if, if you really focus on like, how is this one better than the one I did last time? Eventually people are going to pay you for it on some level. I don't know how, but yeah. I'm convinced that if you're the best fucking podcast, pastor in the world that doesn't stop, you're going to get paid for it eventually, whether directly or indirectly. But Seth's a great example. The man writes every day, every day. He writes three months in advance. That's how much he writes. And because of that, he has a million people who read his stuff every day. And every time he does anything, people respond. Yeah. And the question is, how do you leverage what you're doing now so that 10 and 15 and 20 years from now, you get to do whatever projects you want and people support them because they trust you and they love you? Exactly. I mean, it's the long term thinking. And and I get that. That's why Seth ended the whole conversation with, you know, call me in six years and let me know how it's going. And it was a joke. But I mean, he meant it in a way that like, I think he was trying to drive home the point he was trying to make to me the whole time was that um, it takes a long time. First of all, you got to get good at what you do, good enough that the world um, is compelled to take notice. And second, it takes a long time to get that good. And and that's what kind of, I said, kind of rocked my world a little bit and changed my focus is that I realized that I I never really think about getting better at things. I just think about how do I make money from them? And um, But there is that intervening time, you know, there's the, you know, like you said, it's hard, it's very hard to have that long-term perspective when, as you said, you need to eat tonight, Yeah, you know, really hard. Yeah. And so when you're doing something like what I'm doing, that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but it currently isn't um, bringing anything to you in terms of income. It's, uh, you know, just all these thoughts. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you do all this stuff and do a job if you have to, you know, it just seems goes back to the question you asked us on the fizzle show. The answer is not to do more shit with this project, right? It's not to add blogging on top of podcasting. That's like the opposite direction. The answer is to do more of what you're doing really, really well. Just get better, 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 and do whatever you have to outside of that to just make enough money to be that baseline level of comfortable because everyone quits. And it, when I look back at living for Monday, I I hit this growth curve. We were hitting our hockey stick when I had two posts in the course of a month get picked up by Hacker News and then by Lifehacker and blew up our subscription list. And that's when I stopped writing. Why did you, why? I can't explain it. I have no idea because I got successful and I started getting attention paid to me and people started criticizing me and like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do that again next time I produce something. Dude, like- I want exactly. I want I want I want you to finish what you're saying but like that is exactly I mean this totally was the Adam therapy hour I didn't mean for it to be that but um that's exactly where I am right now is um in fact I just sent an email to a friend I was like my problem now is success I didn't expect this to be successful I mean I started the show and I didn't think any I honestly did not think anyone would listen now there's all these listeners all this stuff and and now I'm like 
well, what the hell do I do now? You just know? don't fucking quit, dude. Just keep doing what you like. <laughs> You'd be shocked. I'm please. shocked that like success. You know, I never expected that to be a problem. You know, I've but always been is. dealing with failure, but success is its own problem because yeah, like I'm so intrigued. Like why you stopped writing? Because that is the. Ex- I, I can't tell you. Like the last two days, it's been like stuff just shit blowing up about this podcast, and I'm feeling like. I don't, I don't know what to do with this thing anymore because it was successful. Now I don't know what to do with it, you know, which is so weird. Here's what happened to me. It was like, oh my God, I'm successful. I got to make money now. Yeah. And so then I went off chasing ways to make money because I'm successful. I'm supposed to make money now, right? That's what happens now. That's next. I make money now, but that's not necessarily what's next right this second. What's next is you keep doing, you just, please don't quit, Adam. Please do not quit at this (laughs) moment. I'm serious right now because this is the time when if you keep doing this for another year, then the money making gets easier. Yeah. Then you can actually make that happen with much more ease than you can today. Yeah. And that's what our problem is. We're like, oh my God, I did it. I did it. I did it. Holy fuck. What happens now? Exactly. And then we go off and we're like, oh, I got to make this product ready and like fuck the podcast this week. Oh, I didn't do it last week and nobody noticed. I'm not going to do it this week. And then all of a sudden, six months go by and you haven't made a podcast. Totally. Yeah. Now nobody's your fan anymore. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's exactly what happens to most people. And and that's why, you know, I appreciated, I, I really appreciated what you said on that show. It'll all be in the show notes. People want to listen to it. But the, you know, the persistence, just the sticking, sticking to it. Um, but I still have never been able to, what's the word? I, I've still been able to reconcile the sticking to it and the, the making money. Because um, you got to make the money. And if the sticking to it takes a certain amount of time, it's very hard to make the money. And um, this that's not exactly my situation. Like, you know, I have ways I can make money from this show. If I need, if I, you know, if, like you said, if a gun was at my head and said, you got to make money from this show tomorrow, I could do it. Like, I, I have ways to do it. But I just haven't really pursued them much yet. Um, but it's just... Uh, yeah, it's, 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 I love your focus on the long-term thinking and Seth's focus on the long-term thinking, um, versus long game versus short game, etc. But man, when you're living paycheck to paycheck, or you don't know where, how you're going to pay the bills next month, worrying about what's going to, what it's going to look like in five years is just, it's, it's hard to even think about that. I've been, and I've been there, you know, and like, that's why I appreciate it is that I'm not poo-pooing that because it's real. Like that experience you're having right now or that anyone out there is having is very, very real. And there's not a right answer to solving it, but I know that the right answer is not to say this didn't work because that's not what's happening here. Yeah, no, totally. So I guess in wrapping it up a little bit, um, what uh, if that is the situation you're in, you know, you're saying don't quit. Obviously, we know that. Step one, don't quit. Um and I know you just said there's no right answer, but um, uh, what what do you do in that situation? I mean, is does it come down to just, well, I guess I just need to go get a part-time job or something. Um, I need to, you know, just do whatever. Does it just come down to do whatever you have to do in the hours that you're not doing the thing that you're not supposed to quit doing to put, put food on the table? Exactly. To meet that minimum level of comfort. That's what I would I would do. Because what you've told me is that this podcast is your opportunity to get the things out of your head and get them into the world in a way that you need to survive. 
And on top of that, people like it. They which is, which is it. shocking. <laughs> but, but who cares? You know, it's, that's, it's all, if you're humble and you're not an asshole, it's always going to be shocking. Yeah. And so the point is you've found the intersection between the two. And that's what you were looking for when you did this thing. Yeah. Is like, can I, can I like quietly in the back of the room, can I do something that people will like and that I also like? And you've done that. You've succeeded at that. And so now the answer is, okay, how much time do you need to keep doing that? And just go do whatever the fuck you have to do to put the bread on the table and make sure your kids are taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's... I think that's the truth. You know, um, I, I don't think it's as easily done as said. I don't know. I don't know how many people are in my situation. You know, I'm, I don't know what you were like in college. I was an idiot in college and I, you know, racked up tons of debt and, you know, student loans, you combine all that stuff, uh, that level of comfort you're talking about. It's not even comfortable. Just the, <laughs> the level of, uh, the level of um, getting things paid every month is very, very high. And uh, so it's, it's stressful, you know, but I guess I'm, I'm in a place where uh, I'd rather figure that out, you know, than, than just say, oh, well, I'm just going to go, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to start putting resumes out, you know. Definitely. Because- and like, instead of putting resumes out, let your friends help you. You know, if you need the money and it's like, hey, I'm a good web designer, I'm going to take two clients, don't tell everyone, but tell the right people, your friends are going to send people to you. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have a skill set that works. Seth wrote a great post the other day about the fact that when he puts an application out, people are always willing to check the boxes on like strategist and project manager and all these soft skill bullshit. But very few people are able to check the box on CSS and HTML and uh, Ruby and like Photoshop or whatever, the hard stuff that actually makes things appear in the world. Yeah. You've got that though. You've got both. And so what that does for you is it makes you uniquely valuable in a way that you can make money while you're doing the thing that actually matters. Yeah. And you don't have to tell the whole world about it. No one has to know whose websites you make. Yeah. Well, you're right. I think, I think that's true, man. Dude, do I owe you like a hundred bucks for this hour? I don't know. I I feel like way more than that if you were paying me for it. I mean, I I mean, that's what I pay my therapist. So I just assumed (laughs) I assume that's the therapy rate is like a hundred bucks an hour. So no, this is, this is on the house, man. Have you, uh, um, what, you know, do you, can do you see yourself someday old and, you know, gray bearded sitting in a, in a, in a leather chair, you know, um, talking people through their issues? No, I quietly do some coaching on the side now. <laughs> uh, and like, I really enjoy it. I really like working with people who are talented and helping them get shit done. It's a lot of fun. And I, I just don't do as much of it as I used to because I, do my fizzle thing now and I get to do it for thousands of people instead of three, but I still maintain a couple of clients and I really, really have fun with it. Well, as forward thinking as you are, um, do you like, I don't, I can't say what's next because you know, you probably don't have a next after fizzle. Um, but do you like, I've talked to chase a lot about the thing, you know, finding your thing. And for chase, he seems to have found it at least somewhat in fizzle. And, you know, do you feel that same way or or do you feel like, you know, this, this is a step just like everything else is a step towards something else. No, you know, I, so I've had a couple of times in my life where I've gone away to do different things, whether it was working with Seth or like whatever projects or trips or events, the first WDS I ever went to. And I come back and like, I change things dramatically in my life or even that camp that first time when I came back and quit my job, 
I came back from this past week where I was away, which was one of those life-changing kind of deals. And I came back more convicted than ever, than ever that I'm doing the right work. Yeah. And so for me, what that looks like is the changes are all related to doubling down on the things I'm already doing because I feel more uh, Im- impassioned about them. So I do think fizzle for me is the thing. It, it is the thing I want to do. I want to help a million people build businesses. I want to change people's reality of what they have to do every day if they want to do something different. Yeah. That sounds, uh, sounds pretty exciting, man. It sounds like that would be a, that would be a great, something that would be very fulfilling. Definitely. I'm, if that's all I've done at the end of the day, I think I'll, I'll be all right with that. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I, uh, it's, it's done. It is finally done. Okay. All the, all the fizzle people have now, but just don't hire anyone else, please <laughs> soon. Cause then I'm going to have to go through scheduling that and getting them on the show. So, I mean, the gently mad is basically the marketing arm of fizzle.co. So if you haven't noticed, it's already. a grand plan so. to take over the world. <laughs> so it's uh, the, the set is complete, man. All four on the shelf done. So Boom. hopefully, uh, you know, now, now I just got to start over with chase and work through all four again. There you so. go. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, Barrett. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. It was fun. Well, there you have it, folks. Your knowledge of Fizzle is complete. Now all you have to do is go to fizzle.co slash TGM and join, and you can be part of all the fun, all the fun that we've been talking about here. So seriously, though, do that. Do it. Check it out. Look me up. I think you'll be glad you did. Uh, If you're not on the newsletter, get on the newsletter. That's uh, the main way I am able to communicate. With those of you who listen to this show, that's avclark.com slash newsletter. And if you feel like donating to the show, feel like uh, throwing in a few dollars here and there, then you can go to avclark.com slash support. And finally, if you're so inclined, I would love for you to go to tgmlistener.com, fill out my little survey, and let me know a little bit more about who you are, and maybe we could schedule a little follow-up call and go deeper if you'd like to do that. So, once again, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate all your support. Thanks, Barrett, for coming on the show. Thanks to Fizzle for sponsoring the show. And I just really love making this thing, and I'm glad that you guys, at least so far, enjoy listening to it. So, happy Wednesday. Hope you have a great rest of your day, and I will see you on Friday. I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?